to not be distracted. Lord, help me to be able to say the things that you would have me to say. Lord, I pray that you would help my mind to be clear. And I know it's Wednesday night, and I know we're busy with work and school and all sorts of things. And Lord, I ask that you would please just, as we uh, come together to study your word, I pray that it be a time that we could learn from the Bible. Lord, that there would be something taught that would... Uh, we could apply to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us for the next few moments. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Matthew chapter 9. If you remember last week, we on Wednesday nights, obviously, we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Matthew. Last week, we talked about how in Matthew chapter 9, there's a lot of verses that have to do with the subject of soul winning, and we went through and showed kind of those connections throughout the chapter. Uh, So we dealt with the majority of the chapter last week, but there's a few sections that we did not go into because uh, they didn't pertain with those verses. This week, we're going to look at some real specific, just one portion of the chapter, and then we might either be done with the chapter, or maybe we'll spend a little more time in it a couple weeks from now. We know next week we'll have the Lord's Supper. Uh, So Matthew chapter 9, if you look at verse number 14, I want you to notice kind of an interesting story that comes about in verse 14. The Bible says, Then came to him the disciples of John. Now, you've got to understand, okay, these are the disciples of John the Baptist. These are not bad guys. They're good guys. But notice what they said, okay? They've kind of joined forces for a little bit with the enemy, the Pharisees, and they're coming against Jesus. Now, understand, disciples of John are not bad guys, but even a Christian can be used uh, uh, by Satan, okay? you got to understand that. Even Jesus said to Peter, you know, get thee behind me, Satan, alright? So you got to understand that not, just because someone calls the name of Christian doesn't mean they have the, 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 the best interests of Christianity in mind. And here it says, then came to him the disciples of John saying, I notice what they said, why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? Okay, so the Pharisees were fasting, and we know they were doing it because they believed in a word salvation. They were doing it because they were hypocrites. They were uh, uh, proud, okay? The disciples of John are fasting uh, because John is more than likely at this point already in prison. And, you know, their leader has been in prison, so they're fasting, they're mourning, they're coming before God, okay? And, and, and they come to Jesus, and Jesus, if you remember from last week, we saw that Jesus is just with the, with the publicans and sinners. He is drinking, uh, you know, he's, he's feasting, he's having a good time, you know, reaching people with Christ. And here these guys feel a little, maybe ripped off. They feel a little, you know, and they're thinking, well, we're fasting, why aren't you fasting? I notice the question they ask, verse 14. Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? Okay, now, I, this is what I've learned as a pastor. People generally like the concept of Jesus. If you talk to people about Jesus, by and large, and you're going to find some middle people that, uh, you know, don't want to talk about God or anything like that. But by and large, you just talk to people, whether they go to church, whether they don't go to church, whether they claim to be Christians, whether they don't know anything about the Bible. You talk to people, and generally, they like the concept of Jesus. You know why? Because most people have an idea of Jesus that he's like the Santa Claus. You know, he's just this guy, you know, up in the sky with his long hippie hair, you know, and he's just, you know, cool with anything. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. It doesn't matter how you live your life. You know, they, they, they like the concept of Jesus till they begin to learn the Jesus of the Bible. 
When people begin to actually read the Bible, and they begin to see what the Bible actually says, when they begin to see that, oh wow, you know, most of these preachers on TV are a bunch of false preachers. You know, like right. you're talking about this Joyce Myers. You know, when they start realizing that the Bible actually teaches that women shouldn't preach, right. that women should not stand behind a pulpit and preach God's word, and that, you know, that it's of it's, it's, it's not of God, it's totally, you know, just of the devil, that some woman is coming to Sacramento and preaching to thousands of people in the name of Jesus. When they begin to actually learn the Bible, now look, right now, as I said that, some of you are thinking in your head, I can't believe you're saying that. <laughs> but you know why? Because people generally like Jesus. People generally like the Bible. If, if you just tell them, you know, it's God loves you, God thinks you're great, you're the greatest thing ever, you know, let's pat you on the back. Hey, they like that. But when you actually begin to learn the Bible, now it's like, wait a minute, that's not what I expected. And this is exactly what's happening in the story. Here the Pharisees and the disciples of John, they're like, wait a minute, Jesus, you're not acting the way we thought you should act. You're not doing the things that we thought you should do. This is not what we expected. And that's when people are actually confronted with the Word of God, with the Bible, and they realize what the Bible actually is, and what the Bible actually teaches, and that Jesus, as much as He preached about love, He also said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I said. If you love me, you won't live in sin, you won't live in filth, you won't live, you know, in the world. When they begin to see that, then here's the response they get. That's not what I expected. That's not the lovey-dovey, make me feel good. I want to go to the effeminate preacher. I want to go to the woman preacher that's only going to talk about love. I don't want to be actually, don't confuse me with the Bible. Okay? These guys come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus... You know, we knew that the Messiah was coming. We knew that the Christ was coming. But this is not exactly what we were expecting. And we don't like it. Now notice the interesting response. Jesus, you know, uh, as you study Jesus Christ, you begin to realize, and obviously he was God in the flesh, but Jesus has just this wit about him. You know, he's quick on his feet. And Jesus responds in verse 15, he says, And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Now you may not understand, and let me explain to you, you may not understand the, 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 the wit, the divine, you know, just cleverness that goes into that verse. But you've got to remember, look at verse 14 again. Then came to him the disciples of who? John, right? Okay, so who made the complaint? The disciples of John. Okay, now it's interesting that Jesus makes this analogy and he says, look, you want to know why my disciples aren't fasting? They said, as long as the bridegroom, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? He He gives the analogy of a wedding. And he says, as long as the groom is at the party, as long as the bride is at the party, why would you fast at a wedding? I mean, right? Have you ever been to a wedding where they didn't have food? I mean, it's, it's a celebration, right? Now, here's why it's so interesting that Jesus says that. Keep your finger there in John 9, in Matthew 9. Go to John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3. Just real quickly, you there in Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And look at verse number 26. John chapter 3 and verse 26. John the Baptist, at this point, Jesus kind of taken the, the, the ministry and he's kind of the main guy. But before Jesus showed up, John was the main guy. The Bible says all Judea came out to hear John preach. John was the pastor with the, with the success. He was preaching. He had, he had a lot of success. When, when Jesus showed up, if you remember, John just handed the reins over to Christ. Remember we talked about it on Sunday morning. Jesus shows up and John looks at Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And he declared him the Messiah. Now in, in John 3.26, notice what it says. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, 
He that was with thee beyond Jordan, remember John baptized Jesus beyond the Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth. Now notice what they said to John, okay? And all men come to him. So they come to, to John and they say, John, you were the one that was baptizing everybody. Is your name not John the Baptist? You were the one that everybody came to hear. But when that Jesus guy came up, remember in Jordan, you baptized him, you declared him the Lamb of God. Now everybody's going to him. All men come to him. Here's what he was saying. They were saying, Sean, ever since Jesus showed up, your church has gotten smaller and his church has gotten bigger. Your church, your crowd has gotten smaller and his crowd has gotten better. And they're trying to put Sean against Jesus, right? Now notice John's response, verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. He says, look, whatever success I had, God gave it to me. He says, it's not my success. Verse 28. Now notice what he says. Ye yourself bear me witness that I said. Because they asked, when John first showed up, they, they said, hey, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Now notice what he said. Ye yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I have said before him. He said, look, I've already told you I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I came to, to, to get things ready for the Messiah. Now notice verse 29. Look at what he says. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. You see that? John, long before, already said, look, I don't have the bride. He said, and so I'm not your man. He who has a bride, he's the bridegroom. And the bride is a reference to believers there. Look what he says. But the friend of the bridegroom, he says, you know who I am? The friend of the bridegroom. Which standeth and heareth and rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, uh, my joy therefore is fulfilled. Now notice verse 3, don't miss this. John says, he, referring to Jesus Christ, must increase, but I must decrease. Okay, here's what you guys saying. John said, here's what John said. Hey guys, this isn't my party. You know, the, the, when, when you get married, you know, you've got the bride, and you've got the bridegroom, you've got the groom, and guess what? The whole day is about those two, right? And John says, like, look, it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. He's the bridegroom. He's got the bride. I'm just a friend. I don't, he said, I don't care if my crowd is decreased and his crowd is increased. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Okay, so John already declared, okay, John already declared this. It's all about Jesus Christ. Amen. And the analogy he used was that he was the bridegroom because he had the bride. Now, John's in prison. The disciples of John come and say, why do we fast often? Your disciples don't fast at all. And Jesus goes back and uses their own leader's words and said, you want to know why we're not fasting? Because I think it was John who said that I'm the bridegroom. He said, this is a celebration. Now notice what he says. Go, go back to Matthew uh, chapter number, where are we? Nine. Matthew chapter 9. Look what he says. Matthew chapter 9. Look at verse 15. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come. Now no, the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them. Okay, was Jesus crucified? Has Jesus been taken from us? Is he still with us? Of course not. We understand that. So hey, yeah, it's days to mourn now. It's days to fast. It's days to get sober. But Jesus was saying, look, we are having a celebration. I am the bridegroom. I've got the bride. Here's what Jesus was saying. Hey guys, you know why my disciples aren't fasting? Because it's all about me. That's what Christ was saying. He says, look, it's not about you. It's not about your fasting. It's not about the Pharisees. It's all about me. Now you got to understand this. 
the teaching that our lives are all about Jesus Christ is exactly what we do not like about the Bible. People like Jesus. People like church. People like the Bible. Until they begin to learn that the Bible teaches that it's all about Jesus and not about you. Until they learn that the Bible teaches it's all about the bridegroom with his bride and it's not about you. Now, let me, let me give you some verses that we generally don't like in the Bible. Okay, go, go to Mark chapter 12. Now, if I, if I were to ask you, do you like this verse? Everyone would say, no one would say, I don't like this verse. But really, if we understood what this verse means, we all kind of buck at it. Because here's what we don't like about, you know, let me give you three examples. Go to Mark chapter 12. You're there in Matthew, Mark. Mark chapter 12. Look at verse 29. Mark 12, 29. And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now look at verse 3. Now no one would say, I don't like that verse. But really, deep down inside, nobody likes this verse. In their flesh. Look at verse Verse 3. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Now look, nobody follows that commandment. If it was true, everything, if we honestly could say we follow that commandment, we would do nothing that the Bible told us not to do. And there is way too many people who know exactly what the Bible says they should do and choose not to do it anyway. And what that's, you gotta understand this. Either Jesus Christ is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Do I like Jesus? Except in this one area, in this one relationship, with this one issue. I know what the Bible says, but I'm just going to do what I want anyway. Well, you're just telling us you don't love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Go to Romans chapter number 12, real quickly. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 12. Let me show you another Bible. We generally, another verse we generally don't like. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 1. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Look what it says. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Notice this. That, no, nobody would say, I don't like that verse. But notice what it says. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Romans, the very next book is 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at this. We don't, we, here's another verse we don't like. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? Here's what we don't like. And ye are not your own? Well, I, I, I do with my body what I want. Well, it's not your body. Look at verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Here's what we don't like. Which are God's. Your body and your spirit both belong to God. Go to Colossians chapter 3. 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Here's, here's verses we don't like. Colossians chapter number 3. Look at verse 4. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 4. Colossians chapter number 3. 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. Verse 4. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, look what it says, who is our life? Not part of our life, not some of our life. He is our entire life. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Now you, you say, well, why, why, why do you think the people don't like these verses? That we are to love the Lord like God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. 
point. Why do you think people don't like the fact that we are supposed to present our bodies as a living sacrifice? Why do you think that people don't like the fact that ye are not your own, but ye are bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. Why do you not think that people like the fact that the Bible says that Christ is our entire life? You know why we don't like those verses? Because that requires way too much commitment on our part. See, we like Jesus. If we can come to Him on our time schedule, by our terms, I'll, I'll do what I want to do. I'll control this relationship. You know, I'll check off my Sunday morning attendance. I'll give Him what I think He deserves. I'll do it. But when people begin to actually learn what Jesus actually expects, and they begin to realize that God doesn't want part of your life, He wants your whole life. God doesn't want part of your schedule. He wants your whole schedule. God doesn't want some of you. He wants to take control of you. Then people begin to... Here's what they say. That's not what I expected. That's not what I was thinking. That's not what Joyce Meyer said on TV. That's not what the Bible... Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that's what the Bible says. See, these verses generally entail way too much sacrifice. you got to understand this. you got to understand that concept. Jesus shows up on the scene... And the Pharisees, the disciples of John, they're looking at the Christ and they're thinking, that's not what I was thinking. And they said, why don't you fast like we fast? And he said, look, I don't, we don't fast over here because over here, this party is all about me. It's not about you. And they said, that's not what we were expecting. Now notice, Jesus begins to explain to them and teach them. Go to Matthew chapter 9, look at verse 16. Matthew chapter 9, verse 16. Jesus gives a parable. He gives a couple of parables. Matthew 9.16, notice what he says. No man put a piece of new cloth onto an old garment. For that which is put in to fill it up, taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Here's what he's saying. He says, if you had a shirt that had a rip in it, he said, no one would go out to a store, buy a brand new shirt, and another one of the... uh, 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 Good night, I can't think of it. In one of the other Gospels, there you go, where, this is, where we have a parallel passage, the Bible tells us that he used the word garment. So he says, no one's going to go out buy a brand new shirt and cut up a brand new shirt in order to patch up an old shirt. Say, so why would you not do that? Because you're not going to invest the cost of a brand new shirt into an old shirt. I mean, does that make sense? If you're going to, if you got a shirt, you know, it's your favorite shirt, your lucky shirt, and it's got a hole in it, you're not going to go buy a brand new shirt, cut up that shirt to patch up the hole. If you're going to buy a brand new shirt, you might as well just wear a brand new shirt. I mean, are you, are you following that? That's not real complicated, right? He says, look, no man put a piece of new cloth onto an old garment. For that which is put in, uh, to fill it up and take the garment, and the rent is made worse. Here's what Jesus is trying to say. you got to understand this, okay? Jesus is explaining to them. I did not come to patch up your text. He said, your life has problems. Your life has rents. Your life has holes. Your life, you've got issues. You've got problems. Your parents messed you up. And your, you know, your, your wife that left you messed you up. And your kids have messed you up. And your finances are messed up. And you've got holes in your shirt. You've got ribs in your shirt. And here's what you think about me. That I'm supposed to come and patch you up. He says, I didn't come to patch you up. He said, you don't, you don't put a new garment, a new cloth on an old garment. Jesus does not want to patch you up. He wants to make you new. He said, I didn't come to patch you. He said, you don't put a a new piece of garment on an old garment. See, our society, you got to understand this. We are in a mess in our society. And we're trying to patch it up. 
They, you know, uh, when I remember when I was a kid, there was a big, you know, when I, when I was growing up, uh, everything you heard was the war on drugs, the war on drugs. We're going to have a war on drugs. You know what? Drugs are more prevalent today than they've ever been. You know, we're, we're going we're gonna to set up Planned Parenthood, and we're going to set up these things, and we're going to try to help people uh, so that they don't... And, and, and teenage pregnancy is higher than it's ever been. The divorce rate is higher than it's ever been. There are more children being raised today without a father than there has ever been. And I'm here to tell you, our society is trying to put a bunch of patches on a bunch of holes. But Jesus said, hey, when you do that, the ranch is going to get worse. He said, you're not going to fix it. He said, I'm not here to fix you. I'm not here to, 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 to reform you. He said, I'm here to transform you. Jesus does not want to patch you up. He wants to make you new. So you got to understand. Go to, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And the sooner, the sooner you get this in the Christian life, the sooner you'll be successful in the Christian life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore... If any man be in Christ. Now look, this only applies to you if you're saved. If you're not saved, you're not in Christ, it doesn't apply to you. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, look what it says. He is a patched up creature. Is that what it says? It says he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. See, Jesus said, he, 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 they, they said, they said, well, we don't like how you're doing it. And he says, I don't like how you were doing it. And you think I came here to conform to you. You don't realize I came here so you can conform to me. Amen. Go to Matthew chapter 9, look at verse 17. Matthew 9, 17. He, he continues with his parable, with his illustration here. Matthew 9, 17. And he says, Matthew 9, 17. I'll give you a moment to get there. Matthew 9, 17, he says, Neither do men put new wine into old bottles. Else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. Now let me just explain to you a little bit here of, of the culture, because obviously in Jesus' day, they did not have modern refrigeration like we do today. But what he's saying, what they would do in those days, is they, they would take like a, a, a leather bottle, made out of leather, made out of some sort of a skin of an animal, okay? Sometimes from the insides of an animal, like the stomach. And, as, and they would take that bottle, and they would and it would be a brand new bottle they made. And they would put new wine in that bottle. Now, you got to understand this, okay? When you put new wine in a bottle, and you don't have, you know, preservatives like we do today, and we don't have refrigeration like we do today, you know, you, you got that bottle of, of new wine, which is just juice, grape juice, but it's sitting on the counter. It's going to instantly begin the process of fermentation. Now, I'm not saying that they were making alcohol, okay? And, and, and that's clear from Scripture. I can prove to you that Jesus did not turn water into alcohol. And I, that's a sermon for another day, but I mean, that's clear in the Bible if you read the Bible. Okay? That's one of those things. Oh, they fucking not. Okay? But here's the thing. But obviously, if you put the wine on, you know, just have it at room temperature, it's going to begin the process of fermentation. It's going to take a while before it gets to, to alcohol, you know. But as it begins that process, it, it begins to develop pressure inside the bottle. Okay, it begins to expand. So when you've got a brand new bottle that is like skin or leather, as that liquid begins to expand, the leather expands with the liquid. Okay, are you following me? Now eventually that leather will begin to get hard. It will begin to crust. But it's expanded with that, with that bottle, with the liquid, so it's preserved. But he said, you know, every once in a while there might be like a cheapskate. You know what I mean? Who already drank, you know, all his wine. And he doesn't want to pay for a new bottle. So he'll take that old bottle and he'll put new wine in it. Now here's the problem with that. 
that old bottle has already crusted up. That old bottle has already hardened. And as it begins to form pressure in there, and it begins to expand, all you're going to do is going to rip that bottle apart, and you're going to, you know, and the wine's going to run out. Look what he says, look at verse 17. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine run about, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. You see that? You, 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 I'm, I'm, I would like to explain to you your frustration in the Christian life. I would like to explain to you why most people go through the Christian life and they, they, here's what they say. I've heard this so much in my life. They'll say, I tried it. It didn't work. I used to go to church. I used to read the Bible. I used to try to do it. And, and it's just, it doesn't work. I'm leaving. And, they, and you know, that's the, the, the Bible word. They get backslidden. You know, say, why does that happen? Here's why it happens. They get frustrated because they're trying to put new wine into old bottles. And the bottles keep breaking. And it keeps running out. And they think, I don't understand what's going on. See, you're trying to put the new bottle, the new wine of Christianity, but you're not changing your habits. You're not changing your lifestyle. You're acting, you're thinking, you're moving, you're living just like you were before you were saved. And then you get frustrated. You say, well, I got the new wine here of Christianity. But the problem is you're putting it in an old bottle. And it, it crumbles and it breaks and it frustrates you. And you think, what's going on? I don't understand why it's working. Look, it would help if you just gave up on your old self and realized, I need a new bottle. I, I don't need a patched up garment. I need a new garment. I need a, uh, the Bible calls it a renewed mind. See, you, we need to get to the place where we realize that the way we were doing it just wasn't working. Marriage philosophies in America are just not working. 60% of marriages are ending in divorce. It's not working. The bottles are bursting. The wine's running out. Everyone's frustrated. And Jesus is looking down and thinking, if you just got a new bottle, it'd be fine. But see, we don't want a new bottle. We like our own life. We don't want a new life. We like our own life. Getting a new bottle, getting a new garment, becoming a new person requires way too much commitment. I want Jesus on my terms. That's, that's what we think. I want him on my time frame. I don't want to give him my whole body. I don't want to give him my whole life. I will give him the sections that I feel comfortable with, and I will keep those. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus says, it's not going to work. That's not how I work. I didn't come to patch you up. That I came to make you new. That I didn't come so you can put my wine into your old bottle. That it doesn't work. The definition of insanity is to continue to do something the same way and expect different results. And you keep messing up your marriage. I mean, let's just be honest. You know, people, they get one divorce and they think, well, it's just this, it's just this marriage. And I'm just going to go get another wife, I'm going to go get another husband, and it's going to be fine. And guess what? You're going to have the same problem in that marriage. And people, and people end up getting two, three, four, five, four, and they realize they're just trying to put new wine into an old bottle. The problem is not the marriage, the problem is you. That's right. The problem, you, you, you've got to understand this. When you approach Christianity, you must approach it in this way. Everything I ever thought, everything I ever did, everything I ever believed, everything I was ever taught, everything I ever did was wrong, and I'm let the Bible transform me into a new person, a new life, and Jesus says, that's exactly what I want. I didn't come to patch you up. I came to make you new. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. Yeah. He said, let the old pass away. But as long as you're trying to grasp that, well, I like this shirt. Jesus is my lucky shirt. He said, the rent is going to get worse and worse. Your life is just going to get worse and worse. God desires to transform you into someone else. Someone new. I'm not going to have to turn there, but remember those verses we looked at? 
Imagine what a difference would happen in your life. If we could actually read the verse, Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, and mean it. Imagine what a difference it would make in your life if you could actually say, I am presenting my body a living sacrifice. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not holding anything for myself. I'm giving it all to Him. Imagine what a difference it would make if we could actually say that, yes, we understand the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and I don't belong to myself. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. I belong to Jesus Christ. My body and my spirit belong to Him. I'm done doing it my way. I'm done trying to patch it up. I'm going to give Him the glory. He's the bridegroom. He's got the bride. It's all about Him. Hey, He must increase. I must decrease. Imagine what would happen in your life if you could honestly say, if you could honestly say, Christ, who is my life. See, until you get to that place. It's going to get the rent. It's just going to get the bottle. going to keep breaking and breaking. You're going to leave frustrated and you're going to say, it didn't work. And it's not that the Bible didn't work. It's that you didn't do it the right way. Because Jesus says, you keep putting new wine into old bottles. Those crusty bottles, they're just going to break apart. It's not going to work. How does it work when we submit ourselves to say, okay, God, I'm done playing games. I'm just going to submit. I'm just going to let you take control. Well, whatever the Bible says, I'm going to go with it. And I, I used to think, yeah, I used to think Joyce Myers was pretty good, but now I see the Bible says, you know, that a woman is not supposed to speak in the, in the church. I, I see that now. Okay, so I'm going to submit to that. I, I used to think that it was okay to drink alcohol, but now I see that the Bible says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever can see the wine is not wine. I understand that now. I'm going to submit to it. Amen. I, I used to think that, you know, you know, in church, it was just all about entertainment, it was all about music, it was all about, you know, just the pastor making me feel good and making me feel like I was okay. But the problem with that is that my life is a mess, and out of the encouragement, I need to be transformed. Amen. I, I used to think that, but now I see that I was doing it wrong. And if you submit, if you submit, but I, I promise you, wow, it's like, it's like I'm a new man. It's like I got a new shirt on. It's like I have new wine and a new bottle. It's like things are different now since I spire heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. Lord, it's just Wednesday night Bible study. It's just going through the chapters. Father, I pray you would help us from this parable realize that we need to get to the place where we stop coming to Christ on our terms and realize that whenever we say something like the disciples of John said and the Pharisees, why aren't you doing it the way we think you should do it? We need to realize it's all about Jesus Christ. It's not about me. He's the bridegroom. He's got the bride. This party's about him. And I would be much happier if I submitted to him. Lord, I pray you'd help us as individuals, as Christians, to say, I'm done trying to just patch up these old bricks. I'm done trying to do it in my old bottle. I'm just going to give it to God. Then let him take control. Oh, what peace, what joy we would have. Father, we love you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the fact that there is a place that still preaches the Bible. I know there are others. You've allowed us to be able to be here and preach your word. I know people don't like it. People don't want to hear it. Word of God. And it's what we need. Love you, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen.